Good afternoon, family. Was you okay today? Merry Christmas. My name is Chad Kinsler. I serve as one of our pastors, and I get the privilege of unfolding a bit of God's word to us. And so we'll read from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. The word of God speaks to us like this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each in his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. This is the very word of God to us. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. One of my favorite things that we do every year in this service when we invite the kids up is to ask them what they want for Christmas. Um, And you'll hear different things. Hey, last service we had one of our kids ask for a python. And, and so we had a really sweet time of ministry praying for that family after the service, uh, this last service. But a couple of years ago, my wife and I were going through some old boxes of photos and we found a picture of me when I was four years old, Christmas 1987. And uh, the yellow sweater and orange collar and, and white collar was never a thing, but somehow that's what I woke up with that Christmas morning. But there was never a kid in Oklahoma City as excited to open Sonic Rangers, uh, Fisher, Fisher Price Sonic Rangers. There's a next slide there that shows, yeah, that, that was the gift. Um, never a kid was so excited in Oklahoma City as to receive that as me. When I saw the picture, I laughed because I'm an only child. I have no one to share the walkies with. <laughs> the, the, I was so excited for this walkie-talkie set. There was... Lots of walkie, not a lot of talkie with that, with that gift. The best I could do was to put on a ball cap, put on the headset, and act like a, a head coach walking the sidelines. Like that was, that was the best I could do with that. Here's what I know with almost 100% certainty. That gift didn't make it to even February 1988, right? I loved those Sonic Rangers, but it didn't last. And, and here's the thing. The reason that we're here today is not because of a gift we received way back when that was a core memory. We're not here today because of a gift we hope to receive. We're here today because you and I recognize that we need something that will last. Like like that's why we're here. That's why we're singing songs. That's why we're doing the things that we're doing. That's why we're praying prayers. We need something. All of us, even if we didn't walk in with that deep sense of need, we recognize, is there something beyond nostalgia? Because I need it. Is there something beyond tradition? Is there there something beyond sentimentality? What you and I need more deeply than, than any gift we might receive 
What united more deeply than any kind of entertainment we would take in, we need an anchor for our souls, don't we? We need something that we can hold on to. Maybe more importantly, we need something that can hold us. Like that, that's, that's what we need. We need at the same time to be drawn toward attention and held at attention by truth that never fades. And that's what God has offered to us in his son, Jesus. In our brief time together today, I want to look at probably the most well-known passage of scripture around Christmas time. If you've never read the passage that I just read moments ago, if you've never heard it before, if you've never been in church, you've likely at least heard it because you've watched Charlie Brown Christmas, the moment when Linus stands up and recites this. And there's three things I want us to see from this passage. And the first is this, that what we're talking about here today is a real moment in history. What we've gathered around is a real moment in history. This passage gives us some very earthy, some historical phrases and characters that are here to show us that this is not a made up religious myth. Later in the New Testament, Peter, the apostle Peter is going to say, I haven't delivered to you a cleverly devised myth. These were eyewitness accounts. So this passage tells us that this happened in the days of Caesar Augustus. This happened during a, a particular political census in the time of Quirinius, who was at the time the governor of Syria. This happened in a city called Bethlehem. This happened in the midst of a very real Roman empire during the actual reign of a particular Caesar in a particular city, a city foretold by the prophets, the city of King David. And it happened on a particular night. This was a moment of long-awaited arrival. This moment is the exhale of the first advent. This moment is the exhale of all of the longing of the Old Testament as they waited for the promise, how long, O oh Lord? This is the moment. We call it the incarnation. Quite literally, it's the enfleshing of God. And we learn some things about the way he's introduced in verse 11. For unto you is born on this day in the city of David, who? A savior. That means someone has been born that's come to deal with sin. It's a big deal. But it's not just a savior, it's one who is the Christ. He's come to also bring the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God. It's not just a savior who is the Christ, it's also Christ who is the Lord, which is very God of very God. God himself, the fullness of God. So what's happened here is this is not just God contracting a divine delegate to go do his bidding. God has not outsourced this to anyone else. What's happened here in Jesus is God himself is now on ground zero. It's the invisible made visible. The one who has lived in unapproachable light has now become intensely approachable. There's a fourth century church father, North African pastor, St. Augustine, he says it like this. <laughs> he, without whose divine permission, no day completes its course, wished to have one day set aside for his human birth. The maker of man became man. Guys, this really happened. This isn't make-believe. This is a real evening, a real moment in history. And I point this out at the top end because the authenticity of Jesus, the historicity of Jesus forces you to take him out of the realm of the philosophical. It forces you to take him out of the realm of whatever nice thoughts you would like to have about God. And it forces you to deal with him. 
the man Jesus Christ. You see, the greatest question that you and I can ever answer in life, the greatest question you and I could ever answer at one time, but as life goes, it's time and again we have to deal with it. The question is, what are you going to do with the Son of God? What are you going to do with him? There are times when we want to pick and choose what we like or don't like about the Bible and about Jesus. But if this really happened, then it doesn't matter what you and I like. And it doesn't matter what you and I like to think. The question is, who do you say that he is? And what difference does he make to you? You can't just indifferently roll by this manger. You can't reduce this Jesus to morality. You can't reduce him to a holiday mascot. You can't reduce him to a situational advice, uh, a counselor for advice. You, you can't reduce him to that. This is a real historic moment when God has dropped to ground zero. But there's also here a real moment, a real offer of joy. Pick up with me in verse nine. This is to the shepherds. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and it says they were filled with great fear. Uh, the, the, the literal translation there is they feared with a great fear. The old King James would say they were sore afraid. And it says the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And this is for all people. So this is an amazing announcement. The glory of God drops on these guys and they fall to the ground like dead men. And I'm not, I've tried to imagine what that moment must have been like. I can't imagine what this moment must have been like for them. But it, it's on par, their response is on par with every other moment in scripture when the glory of God drops or humans are encountered by an angelic being. It's a moment they couldn't escape and they knew it. Hey, you know those moments that feel awkward to you in public or somewhere that you don't want to be or talking to a person you don't want to talk to and in order to make that moment pass, you just sort of pull out your cell phone and act like you've got something to do there? They couldn't do that. The glory of God dropped and they knew that they had been had. It's a moment that exposed everything in them. That's why they were sore afraid. A moment when all authority was in the possession of someone else and they couldn't argue with that and whatever they say would go. And I just pull this out to say, before we get to the good news, I think in our moment, we've lost something of the fear of God. We've lost something of a moment like this and there may be some who would go, yeah, but that's just the primitive religious overreaction of some guys who lived in a less enlightened time. Maybe. But I wonder if, if we could hear these shepherds. I wonder what they would tell us. Like they encountered something that they weren't making up. I wonder what they would say to shake us awake, to say, behold the child in this manger and the a company that comes with him that shouts glory to God in the highest. Pay attention to him. The angel says to these guys, hey, fear not. That's the last thing they expected to hear. But he tells them why. He says, I've got good news. I've got really good news. I've got good news of great joy. And it's literally for everybody. No asterisk, no profiling, no stereotyping. No, this is the candidate here. It is good news of great joy for all people. 
It's the news of a savior who is the Christ, who is also the Lord. And what's amazing about this announcement is that the Old Testament expectation, something that these shepherds would have been aware of, is that the day when God would come, they expected this day to come, but they expected that the day when God would come would be a singular event where God would judge the nations and restore Israel. And so for them to hear what blew their categories, for them to hear God has landed, he's laying in a manger, he's being swaddled by a peasant girl, and judgment isn't coming in the way you thought. To hear that this is actually an offer of grace and mercy, not just for Israel. They would have expected that. This is an offer of grace and mercy to literally all people everywhere. This blew their categories. Listen to the way Jesus talks about the purpose of his coming. In John 3, for God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world. That's not why he sent the son. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus says, whoever believes in me is not condemned. But whoever does not believe, you're condemned already because you have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so this is actually an offer of grace. It's an offer of mercy, not just to Israel, but to you and me. That's really good news for the whole world, for all people. Now hang with me for a moment because this doesn't mean that God has just put away his judgments. This doesn't mean that the way that you've rejected him, the way that I've rejected him, the way that I have dismissed his purposes in the world for my own purposes for my life, the way that I've suppressed his truth, it doesn't mean that God doesn't care about that. There's just an offer of grace. Do as you want. Grace comes all the same. No, there's judgment for those things. There has to be a reckoning. Christmas is not about God diminishing his holiness to make room for us. No, no, here's what's happening. It's that in Jesus, this Christ child that was born would become the man who would be delivered up to receive God's judgment. The judgment still comes. There's still a reckoning, but he receives God's judgment, not because he sinned, but because you and I sinned. He does it in our place. He's the spotless lamb of God. He's the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. This is what John the Baptist was saying. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, not on your head, but on his own. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin. Why did God do that? Why would God make his own son to be sin when he didn't know sin? Why? For our sake, so that you and I could become the righteousness of God in him. This is really good news of great joy for all people. This is what's what's happening is God is actually making a way through the birth of his son where literally anybody, if you're here today outside of faith in Jesus, this is for you. God is making a way for literally anybody who would look to Jesus. You could say with the apostle Paul in Romans 8, what should I say to all of this? What should I say to the great lengths God has gone to make a way for me? If he's for me, if he's for me, was I look to the son, then who could possibly be against me? He didn't just send the son. He didn't spare the son. He gave up the son for us all. How much more along with him will he graciously give us all things? If God has done the greater in his son, surely he'll do the less and he'll meet me wherever I need to be met. This is a reason for great joy, but hang with me one more time. This is a reason for great joy, but all of it hinges, all of it turns, all of it moves on how you deal with the son that was given this day 
Maybe the way to better say it. All of this great joy hinges on how you allow Jesus to deal with you. And this leads to the final thing I want us to see. This is a real historical moment. This is a real offer of joy, but it comes through a real confrontation. You see, later in this chapter of Luke 2, there's this lesser known account. We typically stop our reading of Luke 2 after verse 14, and the angels sing glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to men. But, but just after that, tucked in this same chapter, we get this prophetic word about why the birth of Jesus matters. This, this urgency, this dilemma, what's happening here? In verses 25 to 35, we're introduced to this elderly man. His name is Simeon. And there's so much we could talk about with Simeon. But he gives this prophetic word to Mary about the birth of her child. And mothers, I just want you to imagine for a second, if eight days into your child's birth, an elderly man who you don't know approaches you and he says this about your child. In verse 33, and Simeon blessed them, talking about Mary and Joseph. And he said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And he is a sign that will actually be spoken against. Why? So that the hearts of many will be revealed. Simeon tells Mary about Jesus, that he will be the rising and falling of many. What does he mean? Lean in with me. It means that the eternal direction for every person will rise and fall based on how they deal with this child. It means that this child will certainly bear the judgment of God. He is a savior, but he will also, because he bore the judgment of God, he will also be the judge. The rising and falling of many. He will expose the hearts of every person. This one born in Bethlehem knows about you what you don't even want to admit about you. He knows it. You say, this sounds urgent. It is. It can even seem crazy, right? Like on the surface, it can almost seem as like, wait a second, <laughs> we're talking about judgment now. I thought this was good news of great joy for all people. It sounds like the angel's words are in contradiction with Simeon's words. But here's what I want you to know today. The good news of great joy for all people is in no way a contradiction to Simeon's words. Here's what I mean the birth of Jesus is 100% good news of great joy for all people, but not all people see it that way. Not all people see it that way. Hey, Herod didn't see it that way. The Pharisees didn't see it that way. There are all kinds of people who are offended at the thought of having to bow their knee to a homeless Jewish man and call him the savior of the world. Not many saw it this way. The birth of Jesus is good news of great joy for all people, but it comes through admitting that you're wrong. It comes through admitting that you've offended God and his ways in the world. It comes through admitting that your morality and goodness isn't enough before the holiness of God. That's called repentance. That's called repentance. Listen, Repentance, bending a knee, 
Confessing the Lordship of Jesus is literally the difference between rising and falling. Repentance is a sting to human pride. It stings to admit you're wrong. It's like an antiseptic. There is a real sting, but the sting is a good thing. The sting means you're finally dealing with the wound. You're seeing how bad the wound of your sin really is. But like an antiseptic, repentance is there with the presence of God to heal. It hurts to heal. Everything about God that is to be desired. Think about it with me. His rule, his reign, his love, his promises, his comfort, his peace, his presence, his assurance. Everything about God that is to be desired. All of it hinges on what you do with the sun. Rising or falling. You can receive him. That's commended. You can reject him. That's warned against. But you cannot avoid him. You can accept him, you can reject him, but you cannot avoid him. I wanna end today with a quote from the great Charles Spurgeon, London preacher, Christmas Eve, 1854. Those little hands will one day grasp the scepter of universal rule. Those little arms will one day grapple with the monster death and destroy it. Those little feet shall tread on the serpent's neck and crush that old deceiver's head. We have all thought it wonderful that the glory of God should stoop so low, but we will one day think it more wonderful when that man of sorrows should be exalted so high. Earth could, no, earth could find no place too base for him, but heaven will scarcely find a place lofty enough for him. And so when we look at him in the manger, we might say he surely is the wonderful the counselor, and the mighty God. What you and I need more than anything is something that will last. And that's exactly what God has given to us in his son, Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we, we just want to say thank you for Thank you for everything that you're bringing. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you for everything that you have done in Jesus. Thank you that his tomb is empty and assures us that even though his kingdom came in humility, it will one day come in high visibility. We long for that day, Lord. Thank you that there is no one like you. Thank you that your word can go to places inside of us that no other word can go. You can bring life into us that no other source can bring life to us. And so we agree today, you are the wonderful. You are the counselor. You are indeed mighty God. Amen.